It's been a couple of weeks since we were going through Mark's gospel. How many were blessed by Gil's word on fear? I think that's probably one of the number one or two things that we face. Fear, right? And uh, it's a blessing to know that God casts out that fear. And we heard how God works through prayer last week in our veteran service. And how many were blessed by that? Amen. Well, the last time we were in Mark, we talked about the rich young ruler. How Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. And today we're going to continue with that storyline throughout the rest of that chapter. I saw an interview. How many of we have been watching The Chosen on Wednesday night? How many have watched that show, TV show, Chosen? And they asked the cast, it was like a regular interview, and they asked the cast, out of all the things you've done, what was the hardest part of, of filming that show? And they all said, the walking. I'm like, because not only do they have to film it many times, they kept saying, it's so hot, it's so miserable, there's bugs, it's terrible walking. Just filming the outdoor walking scenes. And I'm thinking, all right, they're, they're making a film. How many miles do you think the disciples and Jesus walked in that same area during that same time? Well, that's how this passage starts. Mark 10, verse 32. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while, they followed, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 inside and told them what was going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be, be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we read these passages, we thank you for the suffering you went through for us. And Lord, we don't want to take it lightly. We don't want it to become just another fact that we know. But Lord, we want the Holy Spirit to really seal it in our hearts of what it costs for us to be here today. Help us to rightly divide your word of truth. We ask in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, these guys have been walking for a few days, and this is the first time that Jesus actually mentions to them where they're going. They're going to Jerusalem. Verse 32, back at the beginning, it says, they're on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Now, Jesus is in front, and I imagine that Jesus is probably a fast walker. And the guys were behind him. He knows where he's going. He's heading out. He's, he's kind of a fast walker. He's the one in front. He's the one setting the pace for everybody else. Now, how many here are fast walkers? I get it because I'm a fast walker. I'm only a fast walker because my dad was a fast walker and I had to keep up with him. And I'm usually the one in front of the family encouraging everybody, come on, keep up, keep up. How many here hate fast walkers? <laughs> now it mentions in that same verse that the guys were astonished. Verse 32 goes on and says, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished. Now, it doesn't say why they were astonished. And I think a lot of times it doesn't fill in that blank so that we can kind of fill it in. Maybe they were astonished at how fast he was walking. Maybe it was, they were astonished at his determination to go to Jerusalem. Maybe they were astonished that Jesus didn't slow down 
and rest? We don't know. But think about your own experience. What is it about Jesus that astonishes you? I'm astonished that Jesus saved me, to be honest. I'm astonished that he did it, did it while I didn't care about it. The Bible says in Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, while you hated God, God still died for you. That astonishes me. I'm astonished that he blesses me more than I deserve. I'm astonished that Jesus cares about everyone all the time. I'm astonished that God is so good to me. What astonishes you? And I think maybe we can exchange the word astonished with thankful. Because the things that you're astonished about, you probably should be thankful for. Do we follow Jesus with the same astonishment or thankfulness that we maybe had at the beginning? Or are we, and I wrote, this is my words, are we ingrates like these guys are that we're going to see in a few verses? Because these guys really didn't get it. Now, in addition to the 12 that were following Jesus, they also had others following behind. Verse 32 goes on. His disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, it doesn't say why they were afraid. One commentator says they were probably going to, to the feast in Jerusalem. That's where they were headed. But it doesn't say if they were believers or not. It just had a crowd. Why were they afraid? Maybe they were afraid of because of what they've seen before. Maybe they were afraid of what they might expect to happen when Jesus hits town. I'm sure most in the area knew the struggle that was facing Jesus, how there was opposition with the officials, and they figured once we hit that town, there's going to be a showdown. If, if Jesus makes it to Jerusalem, from what we've heard, there's going to be trouble. Now I want to look at this from both sides. Maybe they were unbelievers. Maybe they were believers. If they were unbelievers, maybe they were afraid they would get caught up in all the hubbub that was going to go on when they got there. Maybe they'd be forced to do something that they didn't want to do. Or they'd be confused with those who did believe and get punished along with them. How many do we know that just might be afraid of coming to Jesus because of what might happen to them? Or God will tell them to do something that they don't really want to do. I'm going to read an account from an author I've been reading. I like this one. If I can actually get it out of the papers here. It says, some Christians believe just the opposite. They think that God's will involves going where you do not want to go, doing what you do not want to do, and being what you do not want to be. In short, being miserable. This is the author's example. He says, one pretty young woman once told me that she feared God was going to make her marry an ugly man. Or a minister. No offense, she said. I could tell she was debating which alternative would be worse. I also wondered if she meant no offense in reference to my looks or my personal profession. Or did she now fear that maybe God would make her marry an ugly minister? Whatever she meant, she was tricked into believing the will of God would, for her 
would always be some degree of punishment. Perhaps guilt led her to feel like this, or maybe someone had taught her that all her desires were bad and never to be trusted. How many people do you know that don't want to come to Christ because they think of something that if I do that, it's just going to wreck my life? God's going to make me do something I don't want to do. Make you give up something you don't want to give up. Maybe they saw how the disciples acted with Jesus and they wanted nothing to do with that. How many do we know that might be turned off by some Christians that we know? Some Christian did something or said something that was dumb or hurtful and now they don't want to be that guy or that girl. How important is it to be accurately representing Jesus when we live? Not just in here, but out there. Do people know that you're a believer when you leave? God has no such thing as undercover Christians. We should not be a caricature of what the world sees us as. You watch any TV show and they will tell you what they think Christians are like. And they will give you a caricature caricature of someone usually it's it's a televangelist usually they have a southern accent usually they dress poorly we don't want to be that guy we want to be normal people who just love Jesus and act right when we're in the world now we talk about the other side maybe these guys were believers and they were afraid of what was going to happen to them because they were with Jesus. As Christians, we need to know that we might face serious, serious issues because we're believers. And when I wrote this, I didn't, we had no idea what was going to happen this weekend. We might face, as believers, hard times. We might face persecution. We might face Bad things happening to us. Now, right now, this country is pretty safe. But there are still some minor consequences for being a Christian. And as Gil mentioned, you can't live in fear of what may or may not happen simply because you follow Jesus. We should all be good with no fear now, right? Gil preached on it. All of our fears should be gone. Everybody good with that? All your fear gone? Now, verse 32, it says, again, he took the 12 inside and told them what was going to happen to him. Jesus separates the disciples from those that were following. And this is the third time that Jesus tells them what's going to happen. And again, we have to read into this because he doesn't announce this to everyone following him. Now, I'm pretty sure that Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was going to happen since they're going to be right there with him. Don't you want to know, you kind of want to know what's going to happen before you get there? If it's going to be bad, you want to prepare for that? Jesus was trying to get their attention, trying to prepare them so they're not shocked at what happens to him. Now, he pulls the 12 aside and doesn't share this with the group. So whether they're believers or not believers, he doesn't share this, this information with them. Because this is something he wants to share with those who are closest to him. We all have things that we have in our life that we don't share with everybody else. But hopefully we have a close circle of friends that we're able to share these things with. Hopes, fears, worries, concerns, hard times, things 
Everyone doesn't need to know, but you may want someone to know. We talked about this earlier, that Jesus had the 12, the three, and the one. That was his inner circle, the three. And his one was his best friend. We need to have that in our life that we're able to share things with. Not for everyone to know, but one person you can talk to and basically spill your guts to at times. Now, the followers, whether they were believers or not, were not prepared to hear what Jesus was saying. And even the 12 weren't exactly focused on what Jesus was saying, but they were his friends and he wanted them to understand what's gonna happen. And he lays it out for them in greater detail than he's done it before. Verses 33 and 34, it says, we're going to Jerusalem, he said. The son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. This is the first time that Jesus talked about this. He told them what was going to happen. He said, this is going to happen in the future. Now he's telling him where it's going to happen in Jerusalem and who is going to be doing it. Chief priests, teachers of the law, and Gentiles. Now, Mark's gospel does not mention the word crucify. Mark was writing to Romans. Romans understood what capital punishment was. They knew capital punishment meant crucifixion. Matthew's gospel was writing to Jews and they did not have that same knowledge and so Matthew talks about the crucifixion. Jesus' prediction contains six details. The first one, he would be betrayed. He would be sentenced to death. He'd be handed over to Gentiles. He'd be mocked, spit on, and flogged. He'd be executed and he'd be resurrected. Now, the fact that Jesus predicted these events with such accuracy, some commentators and some scholars believe that this was written after it actually happened. But we know that's not true. Because how can something be so accurate in advance? It has to be written afterwards. But if we believe that Jesus is who he said he was, it's not a problem for us to believe that he said this in advance. Shouldn't surprise us. Now, Mark's account does not tell us the disciples' reaction to it, but Luke's gospel does. In verse 34 of Luke 18, it says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Now, I, you know, I want to identify with these guys. Maybe we're on the other side of that. We read it, and we know what's going to happen, but these guys seem to be so thick they didn't get what was happening. I mean, this is the third time he tells them this, and he, they still don't understand it because they believe still that Jesus was the Messiah that was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to be the one in power. That's what they thought, and that's exactly what they believed. So for him to say he was going to die was kind of crazy. That's, Lord, you're not right. You're not right. Now, I thought about that. How often do we hear God's word or read God's word and it plainly states something? And yet we don't think it means what it plainly says it means. Jesus clearly tells them in plain Greek what was going to happen. He says, betrayal, they hear overthrow. He says, sentenced to death, they still hear overthrow. There is a lot of issues in society today that God's word is very clear and plain about. 
But yet we have a lot of so-called churches and Christians reading something into God's word that is not there. God's word says this is sin. They hear God is okay with that. God's word says there's a bunch of different things that are bad and the people that do they aren't going to be in heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says, don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of them will have a share in the kingdom of God. They read that and they hear God loves everyone just as they are. They don't need to change. It's not that people who do these things can't change, right? Because we're all that. Because Paul finishes that statement in verse 11 and says, there was a time when some of you, some of you were just like that. But now your sins have been washed away. You've been set apart for God. You've been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God has done for you. You read that and they hear, see, God lets everyone in regardless. They do not understand that when Jesus goes into town and is confronted by these leaders and he's not going to back down, there's going to be severe consequences to him and to them because of that. They don't get it yet. How many know that in this world we only win in the end? <laughs> we may have small skirmish victories here, but the ultimate victory that we win is in the end. For Jesus, there had to be suffering and death before the resurrection. There has to be hardship before the victory. You can't have victory if it's not a fight. And Jesus needed them to be ready for what was going to happen and not be surprised at what the world is going to do to him when he gets there. And neither should we should be surprised at what the world is going to do before we get to the end. 2 Timothy 3. You should also know, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For, God will love only, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than God. They will act as if they are righteous or religious, but they will reject the power that God, that, that could make them godly. We need to be ready for what is eventually going to happen, inevitably is going to happen. And we, be, we should not be surprised when it does. And need, we need to be able to stand tall in the middle of it. Now, I hate what's going on because more and more prominent Christians are giving in to the world's agenda. I mean, people that you follow, people that were solid. Andy Stanley, you know Andy Stanley. Charles Stanley's son, gone full on affirming. And here's a shock. How many know Max Lucado? Max Lucado was a speaker at a church that was sponsoring a drag queen speaker and other affirming pastors. 
Now, maybe he was blindsided by this. We don't know. But we do know that he issued some kind of apology to the LGBT folks for a sermon he delivered. Ohio, if you follow the news, just passed a state state constitutional amendment allowing abortion. Associated Press headline reads, Ohio voters enshrine abortion access in constitution in latest statewide win for reproductive rights. That's code word for abortion. Ohio, if you follow politics, has traditionally been a red state. That tells me one of two things is happening. First one is Christians don't vote. Or my vote doesn't count, I don't care about it, I don't want to vote. Or, two, which may be more likely, Christians think abortion is okay. Either way, society has affected the thinking of those in the church. The point is, it will be increasingly more difficult to hold a biblical viewpoint and not be criticized and even persecuted for it. Just like Jesus wanted the disciples to be ready for what they're going to face, are we ready for what we may face? No. Why do we need to be ready? When we're ready... We have peace as we face it. John 16, 33. I'll close with this. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. We heard from God about pressing in. The last sentence I wrote here, the more we press into God the more comfort we will have when the world around us seems to be losing its mind. And the more peace and comfort you're going to have when hardship comes your way. And it's going to come your way. No one gets out scot-free. Some of us are more blessed than others, and I don't understand it. But God says in the end, In the end, is when we all win. Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? I know I offered it earlier, and the offer still stands. If you don't know Christ, if you're not sure of your eternal destiny, then this is the time to make it right. None of us is guaranteed of tomorrow. None. So we need to be ready today. And maybe we do live a good long life. And we have Jesus those, all those years. He's the one that helps us through the difficult times in all those years. Or maybe we have a shorter life. We need to be ready for whenever that time comes. Jesus said, you you don't know the hour in which I'm coming, talking about the rapture. But neither do we know the hour of when we will be with Jesus. So if you never 
have believed on that. I mean, really believed, and not just in your head, but in your heart. Romans tells us, it's with your mouth you confess, and your heart you believe that you are right, made right with God. It's with your heart you believe, not your head. If you've never done that, then this is the day to do that. The Bible says today's the day of salvation, not tomorrow, not next Sunday. Not at Christmas, oh, I'll do it at Christmas. No, today's the day. If you've not done it and you want to do it, this is the time. I want you to raise your hand. If you can't stand for God in the church, you're never going to stand for God in the world. And Father, we do humble ourselves before you and we thank you for what you've done in our lives so far. You've saved us. You've blessed us. And you've comforted us in the times when life was difficult. You gave us what your word calls the peace that passes understanding. That we have peace when the world thinks we shouldn't have it. And even sometimes we don't know why we have it. But God, you're able to give it to us in the most difficult of times. You don't give it to us before we need it. You give it to us when we need it. We continue to pray for the Hilton family, that God, you would comfort them in this difficult time in their life. And we, we as believers really have insufficient words to share with them. So Lord, we pray that you would share with them, that you would tell them exactly what they need to hear, that you would bless them exactly the way they need to be blessed. You would be with them in ways that we cannot. Our words and our thoughts are totally insufficient for the time. So Lord, I pray that you would be that intercessor, that you would comfort them, and you would encourage them, and you would carry them through this time. And I know there's many more just in this church alone who are struggling. And I pray the same thing for them. That God, you would fill them with your peace. You would fill them with your comfort. That God, you would be to them what only you can be to them. Help us as believers to do and say the right things and to maybe not do and say the wrong things. Just to encourage them to look to you. And Father, we thank you that you are, the, as your word says, the God of all comfort. And I just pray your comfort upon each one of us as we leave today. Allow us to realize that this life is not perfect. And we will have hardships and struggles that we can't explain. But that's when we press into you and find help in our time of need. So Lord, I commit each person to you. I pray your blessings upon them. And I pray as we leave this morning, we feel a difference in our life that's made, made possible by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we will thank you for meeting us here, ministering to us the way you do. Now allow us to live our lives in gratitude for what you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Let me know how God is ministering to you. You have testimony, I want to hear it. And then people want to hear it as well. So thank you.